Hello friends, Derek Sweatman here, lead pastor at Atlanta Christian Church in lovely downtown Atlanta. Hopefully you can join us uh, every Sunday at 9.30 and 11. Um, welcome to the podcast. This week's podcast and the podcasts all through the season of Lent will be a little bit different, so I want to tell you what's uh, going on with those. Our sound team is transitioning all of our equipment into this brand new kind of rolling all-in-one fixer-upper something or another case. You can tell I don't I don't run sound. I know hardly anything about sound systems, uh, but that's that's the best description I can get. And it's we're not able to record live right now, or at least for several weeks. And so we just made the call that through the season of Lent, um, we'll just record these messages on Monday or Tuesday and then send those out to the podcast so that you can track with us throughout the season. And so I've got my notes here from a couple days ago on Sunday morning, and I'm ready to roll. I hope you're ready to track with us. If you have a Bible, uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and I'll read that text uh, in just a few minutes. But thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we're excited about this season. It's the season of Lent. If you're not familiar with the season of Lent, the season of Lent is a traditional 40-day journey that the church makes from Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday, all the way up through uh Good Friday, which takes us into Resurrection Weekend, Easter Weekend. And so it's this journey of ascension, really. I mean, it's it's marked by deep reflection. Uh, we think about our friendship with God. We think about how we can deepen that friendship with God. It's marked by that kind of reflection. It's also marked by this sense of returning to God. So perhaps, and I'd say perhaps, but let's be honest, we all wander uh, away from God's best for us. And so that's this season of recommitment to return uh, back to the ways of Jesus. Uh, it's also a season marked by growth, uh, the personal growth, this maturation process uh, in our lives. Um, you may be most familiar with the season of Lent uh, because of the ways people fast, the, the whole term of fasting uh, where people give something up that has a hold on them, maybe too much emotional, relational, or even physical tension is given to something. And so people sometimes will will uh, fast from something like chocolate or coffee or whatever the case may be. Uh, but it is a, it, the hope being is that we, we might refocus our energies back into our journey and friendship uh, with God. And Lent is marked by all those, all those things. And I, I love the season because it's, Deep inside the season is this call to mature and to grow in our friendship with God, that we would all take next steps in that friendship and that we might experience change and that we might leave some things behind that are uh, keeping us from moving forward. And so it's it's a wonderful season. And the stories and the texts uh, for the season of Lent are always focused on this. And so when we encounter uh, the gospel texts uh, for each of the Sundays, we end up sort of looking at these stories and teachings of Jesus that really call us into that. And the first Sunday of Lent um, is always given to the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And this is a scene of extreme testing and trial. Um, and why is this important for us? Why is it important for us to read and learn about this temptation story of Jesus? Well, here's the thing. Part of the growth process in our friendship with God is for all of us, to learn uh, what to do with the reality of temptation and testing that happen in our world and that happen to us and around us and within us. Uh, one of the great 
problems and growing in our faith is that we don't we don't know what to do when the reality of temptation and trials and testing uh, come our way. So this text is beautiful. It's explosive. It's full of all kinds of great things that we can pull from it and and learn from. Uh, and so we're going to move through that together today uh, over the next few minutes. Let me read the full text to you. It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, this is a very, very incredible, interesting, explosive, confusing story. So let's just try to move through a couple of these things, and then we'll find the pastoral pieces uh, for our everyday lives. First thing, Matthew puts this story in his gospel account, as does Luke, right after uh, the baptism of Jesus. After Jesus' baptism, this story is always the next story. And it falls into these set of this set of stories about Jesus' preparation for his ministry, his vocation. So this is all happening before we hear any teachings of Jesus, and really before we even see Jesus doing anything. Now, Matthew says it's set in the wilderness or the desert. And the wilderness in the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New, the wilderness is always a metaphor uh, pointing to times of struggle, times of trial, times of temptation, times of confusion, times of doubt. Wilderness is never a happy story in the Bible. So if you run across any story in the Bible and it says they all went into the wilderness, it's never going to be, it's not for a party, it's not for this kind of retreat, it's, it's always a difficult season for that person or that family or that community or even that nation. Uh, scholar, writer, uh, Leonard Sweet uh, says, a stretch in the wilderness in the biblical drama is not an escape but an engagement. It's not an escape but an engagement. And that's so true. Again, from Old Testament all the way through the New, when there's a wilderness experience, it's an engagement between that person, that family, that nation, and God. It's a difficult drama that unfolds in the wilderness. The wilderness is always a place of trial and testing and engagement. Now, this is important for us because all of us can point to seasons in our lives that we would describe as wilderness experiences. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could just be a general loss of stability, whether it's the economy or, again, the job or the relationship or even our faith. It feels unstable. And these are wilderness uh, 
experiences uh, uh, for us. Now, it's key for us to know when we're in those seasons. And I think this is the underlying message for us today is that it's really important for us to know when we're in those seasons. Because growing in our friendship with God comes with knowing and naming the season we're in and recognizing what we're dealing with as life comes at us. And these wilderness seasons are very important for us. Um, And so it starts off, the whole story begins with Jesus moving into what Matthew calls the wilderness. So we know that this is going to be a time of testing and trial for him. It says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, 40 in the Bible is this number that always shows up again when there's struggle, when there's great transition, when there's great change taking place. Again, it's a, it's a metaphor for something that's happening uh, in the life of a person or the life of a community or the nation itself. The 40s in the Bible are pretty famous. You have Noah and the ark story. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And so you have this, again, this metaphor of something drastic is taking place. You have Moses just before he receives the Ten Commandments. uh, He fasts for 40 days uh, on Mount Sinai. There's another story of the prophet Elijah fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, Israel, uh, as a nation, journeys through the wilderness uh, for 40 years, not 40 days, but for 40 years. Was it really 40 years? Who knows? But it's really about uh, the kind of journey they took in the wilderness. It's marked by this, again, this picture, this metaphor of struggle, of testing, of trial, of temptation, and all of that. The number 40 in the biblical storyline is often just a picture for these wilderness experiences. There are uh, scholars who like to point to this temptation story of Jesus uh, and say perhaps what Matthew is doing, and Luke himself as well, is just compressing um, all of Jesus' life into this one passage, that this temptation story may just be a compressed version of his whole life, that his whole life was a long wilderness 40-day experience dealing with one difficult thing after another all the way uh, through to his death. It's a great it's a great way to consider maybe what this story is also trying to say. But regardless, whether it's one experience or just a lifelong experience for Jesus, uh, the thing that Matthew points out that I always find very funny is that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, in verse 2 it says Jesus was hungry. He was Hungry, which is kind of like, a, well, of course he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Now, here's the thing about hunger. And we can relate this to temptation uh, pretty easily. Temptation is most difficult. Uh, it's also most obvious when we're tired and hungry, when there's exhaustion, when we're emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. Temptation is difficult. I mean, how many of us, like, when we're emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted, how many of us can come through that and go, man, during that season, I nailed it at life. Like, there's no way we did well in those, uh, in those seasons of our life. And so, it, again, in knowing what season we're in, if we're entering a wilderness experience, it's so important to keep track of, am I exhausted? Am I not sleeping? Am I stressed at work? Are all these things pushing against me? Because when we're in that season, temptation is most obvious. It's most dangerous. It's very, uh, we're very susceptible to all kinds of things that can happen, um, both 
to our emotional and physical health, but also to our spirit uh, as well. And so this little phrase here in the text that Jesus was hungry is a setup for us to say it's in, it's in those seasons when we're exhausted, when we're malnourished, when we're not at our best, that these things can certainly take place. Now, Jesus in the story is confronted with three uh, temptations, and they are the three most common temptations that humanity continues to deal with. We all deal with these. Uh, if we break them down, he is first tempted uh, with his hunger. This is a physical temptation. This is a satisfy the body uh, temptation. He's then tempted spiritually about his faith and doubt, his trust in God. He's actually tempted to test God, to kind of put him uh, to the test. His third temptation is interesting because it's about influence and power. This is the one where the devil says, Hey man, just bow down to me and I'll just give you everything that you actually really, really want, which is all the kingdoms of the world. So there's this social temptation to gain influence and power. And so those three, the physical, the spiritual, the social, uh, I think if you reflect on that, uh, even just for a moment, you would come to the same conclusion that I have, which is those don't go away. Those are the same temptations that we deal with day in and day out. And Jesus himself doesn't get through these and then check them off the list. Like he'll spend his whole life uh, struggling and encounter, struggling with and encountering these three temptations again, all the way up through his death. Uh, they don't go away. They don't go away for us uh, either. And again, when we know that we're facing them, uh, that will help us uh, survive. That will help us take the right steps through these wilderness uh, seasons. But the most important thing I want us to see in each of these three temptations, and we'll close with this because this is, this is the, the meat of the text. The most important thing for us to see in each of these three temptations is that each one um, is not an attempt to pull Jesus down, but rather to pull him up. Each temptation is all about advancement. There's nothing that the tempter says to Jesus that sounds like, hey, I want to ruin your life. It's actually the opposite. What Jesus hears and is tempted with is not ruin, but uh, growth and advancement upward. There's an ascension quality to each of the temptations. Do this and you'll get this. Do this and you'll make progress here. Do this and you'll gain all of those things. And what I find true in my own life, and again, I think with just minimal reflection, you would come to the same conclusion, and that is that our sin is not really the result ever of our desire to lower ourselves, but it is more often the result of our desire to raise ourselves. Like no one gets up in the morning and says, my goal is by the end of the day to be at rock bottom. That's my goal. Maybe there's that person, but most of us, we don't wake up with that goal. We wake up with a totally opposite goal, which is to be in a better place uh, at the end of the day. And temptation and sin for us is hardly ever, ever, ever the result of us just wanting to bottom out. It's never the case. But it's most often the case uh, and the result of our desire to raise ourselves. One of the texts that goes with the first Sunday of, of Lent is the story of the garden 
in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Uh, let me read this to you. Uh, you might be very familiar with it. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is actually the key verse in the story. The temptation is presented as an opportunity to become like the divine. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's all this justification going on, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, there's the repetition, that's the main temptation, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate, verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That's a metaphor for they now see their imperfections. They now recognize that they've been exposed. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So again, this is the story that's associated with this first Sunday of Lent. And the reason is obvious. It's the same kind of temptation. It's like, do this thing that God told you not to do. And if you do it, you'll advance. You'll become like him. And what's interesting is that in that Genesis 3 story, the serpent actually tells the truth. They actually do become like God. They do know the difference between good and evil. They do progress in their understanding of how life works. They're now aware of their own nakedness, their own imperfections, etc., etc., etc. But the temptation is not ruin. It was advancement. And sin happens most often when I want to better myself, when I want to get ahead or on top of my situation. And the thing about the Jesus story is, again, there's nothing in the temptations themselves um, about ruining Jesus' life. That's not in there. But the thing that's important for us to remember when it comes to temptation and testing and trials is that the ruin is always in the small print. The ruin is always hidden in the small print. It's like those commercials, those medical medicine commercials uh, for just pick your ailment, pick your situation. Uh, and it's, al it's always the same. It's like 38 seconds of terrifying side effects set to this scene of the grandparents having a water balloon fight with the grandkids right? In slow motion. So you're watching this scene unfold and it's joyful and it's amazing and everyone's smiling and laughing and playing around. But on top of that is this script being read about all the terrifying side effects, which normally include death. That's the small print. And that's how temptation looks to us. It's like, oh, look, if I do this, then it looks better and it is better and I'll be better. But if you listen the ruin is in the small print. Now, the medications, of course, are not ruined. They have to say this is what could happen, but you get the idea. Like, that's how temptation works. The ruin for us is hidden in the small print. Now, some application and homework. It's very simple. Number one, 
learn to know when you're in the season of a wilderness experience. Because when that is taking place, again, whatever the case may be that has put you there, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be stressed. It's going to be difficult. And it's very important to just know the season. Secondly, is when you're tempted, when you're facing something that feels like this might be bad or good, but you don't know, is to ultimately ask the question, is this going to pull me down in the end, or is it truly for my wholeness uh, and my flourishing as a, as a person? Uh, Got to ask that question. Is this ultimately about short-term advancement physically, even spiritually, or socially? Am I really seeking God's best for me, or am I just seeking um, reprieve in the moment? These are good questions to ask. I think it's also very wise for us um, to remember that though the wilderness experience can be very lonely, it is not meant for us to go through those experiences alone. It's very important for us to have like a wilderness buddy. It's important to have those people in our life that we can reach out to and just simply say, hey, I'm entering a desert season. I'm entering a wilderness season, and uh, I may need you. And those people are few. The, most people are pretty uh, uh, hesitant to help in very deep and dark situations in our life, but it's important to have that friend or two that you can reach out to and say, I'm entering this wilderness experience, uh, and I'm going to need your help. I love what Jesus says uh, in Matthew chapter 11, later in this gospel, and we'll close with this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Some versions say burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this. This is Jesus saying to you and to me, hey, when you're in those seasons, just come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We beat ourselves up so often when we are in the midst of a wilderness experience and we're making mistake after mistake, bad decision after bad decision. We get so frustrated with ourselves. But Jesus comes to us and says, hey, in those times, come to me. The way of Jesus is not easy, but Jesus will be easy on us. And I, I want to leave you with that because I believe that's what he's saying. Is that my way is not easy, but I will be easy on you as you walk my way. And that's the kind of Savior we need. That's the kind of God we need. Uh, and as we move through this season of Lent together, as we reflect deeply on our own personal lives, as we seek to deepen our friendship with God, uh, keep in mind that uh, Jesus is always present. He's always with us. That whole withness is so important and that he will be easy on us as we walk his difficult way. Uh, grace and peace. And I look forward to being with you next week uh, as we enter the second week of Lent. Grace and peace.